the Business of Property podcast. I'm Simon. I'm Stuart. We're both property people running our own businesses. This podcast is just us chatting, as we often do, about anything and everything property. A couple of weeks ago, we dedicated our episode, sort of half by accident, to talking about replacing your salary with a property investment strategy called Rent to Rent. Or more specifically, what we ended up talking about was rent to HMO as a, a model. And we talked about what was involved in the inputs, both in terms of actual time and actual money, and how long it would then potentially take to achieve the goal of replacing an average salary. So moving on from the rent to rent strategy, we thought we'd look at another strategy this week, specifically sticking with the HMO theme, but looking at buying HMOs. Now, there's uh, sort of two general sub approaches within this. So one would be where you're buying with your own money, you're buying HMOs, where you're paying the cash into the deposit, the stamp duty, the fees that are involved up front. And then the other sort of subcategory is where you're using external investor funds to provide the the money to fund the, the deposit or the refurb fees or other sort of bits of startup cost. And then, of course, in both strategies, on top of the, the deposit and the input fees or input costs, should I say, you'd have mortgages. So that's sort of the, the framework of what we're going to talk about today. And we're going to talk about again, replacing salary. So last time we took an average UK salary, which I think is about £30,000 a year. So that's our our goal again this week. We're going to work out and talk through what we think is needed to actually achieve that through property investing with a strategy of buying and renting HMO properties. So we are going to have to make lots and lots of assumptions along our way today, Stuart. (laughs) Let's start out with defining what our investment properties are going to look like. So I think in our chatting before the show, you suggested five bedrooms would be a a nice sort of target for for a standard HMO. But we're probably not buying five bedroom properties. So what what do you think we might be actually buying in this scenario? It's a good question. It it depends. And As always, we should just caveat this by saying we are not providing any sort of financial advice whatsoever. These are just the ruminations and thoughts of two property people that get quite interested about this stuff. Don't take it as advice in any way, shape or form. But in terms of bedrooms, it's a good question because personally, I buy existing HMO properties. So I do buy the number of bedrooms that I'm going to rent typically. However, I don't think that's a standard model. I think the standard model is what you're suggesting, which is you might buy a two or three bread property, and then you're going to convert a lounge dining room into a bedroom or two to get it up. So as Simon has already said, I think we've made a tremendous amount of assumptions here to hopefully provide something interesting to people that are thinking about this, because it would certainly be interesting to me as someone starting out depending on where you are in the country, because the other things, so we've talked about five beds. We've taken the average UK house price, which is around 250,000 at this point in time, which 
interestingly enough, for me, for a five-bed house, is very close to the sort of money I would be paying for that. I'd be paying a little bit less. Of course, depending on your location in the country, that might get you a hell of a lot more or it might get you a hell of a lot less. But as someone said, we're just taking a lot of averages so that we can just do a bit, a few calculations. But I think most people, if you're not working in an Article 4 direction, you're typically looking for something that is a two or three bed, probably three. And then you've got downstairs where you might have a front room and then a dining room that you can convert and then ideally make it a five bed. My old modus operandi was to to ensure that we were using and maximising the rooms as bedrooms. Then looked at ensuring we had good communal space. And there is still definitely a need for that. Obviously, COVID had a bit of an impact. But these, these are the sort of things that you will be thinking about. I, I still try and make sure that we've got a, a kitchen dining area for properties. But well, we're going to talk about the numbers. So if you're looking to replace your salary, and just before I move on, Simon, did you have any other thoughts in terms of what we're, we're talking about in terms of the property? No, I think, I think you're absolutely right. I wasn't expecting you to actually say that you're buying it already as five bed, although, of course, somewhere in my head, I knew that's exactly what you do. <laughs> it's, the reason it matters for our scenario, really, is whether we're looking at or how much we're looking at the refurbs costing. Because if you're buying an HMO that's already an HMO, you probably don't have much refurb cost. You might need to well, well, and that's, go that's <laughs> highly, highly debatable because the, the, typically those HMOs in the market, unless you're buying at the top end of the market and you essentially are just buying income, if you're buying income, you are paying probably the maximum price for that property or the, the true market value for that property. If you're buying to invest and you're looking to replace your salary, which is the topic of this conversation, the likelihood is anything that you buy would need to have some work in it because you'd want to be buying it at a lower value. But there's an interesting point in there, actually, about, and that's an equation we haven't thought about to work through, but it's actually, could it be easier to buy at the true market value and just buy that income, a ready-made HMO versus the time taken. That's probably one for another day. And one I could have thought about five years ago, which might have been, might have saved me a lot of time and trouble. <laughs> but typically, my, my experience is that when we're buying HMOs, we are buying things that need work. And because they are going to be five beds and above, if you're replacing a kitchen, a bathroom, typically two bathrooms and then redecorating the all of the property you're still talking about fairly sizable refurbishment costs uh, i would i would suggest anywhere from 20 to 25000 pounds upwards okay so that, that's great we've we've got a number so in fact we've got two numbers now we've got our purchase price of 250000 and we've got our refurb cost of 25000 let's start there okay great so we, we, we're not entirely fixed on whether we're buying an HMO and then refurbing it or whether we're buying a non-HMO and then refurbing it <laughs> and in that refurb process, converting a dining room or a lounge or whatever to a bedroom. But we're going to go with these numbers. 250000 to buy, 25000 to refurb. What other numbers are we looking at uh, to get started, Stuart? So the big question in a lot of people's mind is loan to value. How much should we borrow? My 
personal experience is that because I was always looking for the holy grail of getting all of the money out, as we've spoken about many times before, I was typically looking at mortgages with an 85% loan to value, which meant we were putting down a 15% deposit. Of course, you can look at 75% or you can look at lower. You can look at any percentage you want. Obviously, the lower the loan to value, the more cash you're putting in up front, which for those of us looking to replace income generally isn't an option. So we're trying to put in the least amount of money possible, but that's that's where the next step comes in. So, But if we're looking at 15%, obviously you're putting in 37.5K against that 250K. So the bank's going to loan you the rest of that money, the, the 212,500. The other costs, obviously legal costs, you're going to have, you can have all your licensing, your certification that goes with that stamp duty. I think we estimated about 10K. So yeah, I think my, my calculations are for the current time, 7,500, which assumes that we're living in a stamp duty holiday, but it's a second home purchase. So you've got that, that 3% on there still. Okay, so just giving it the 3%. But all in terms of your deposit and other costs, I think we could say around 50K, actually. That's quite a nice round number on a 15% deposit. So you've got 50K to purchase. That, that's without the refurb costs, yeah? That's without the refurb costs, yeah. And then you've got 25K refurb. Yeah, that, that sounds perfectly reasonable to me. It looks very similar to the numbers I've got in front of me, which I've just randomly made up. <laughs> so, so, so even there, you can see that if, you, if you've approached this, as, as many of the education companies would be talking to you about replacing your income, that's fine to replace your income, but you need £75,000 to even start before we've even looked at the income. So let's, let's look at the income, and then we can start talking about that a little bit more. So, so for my simple brain, I always have to work for, with very simple numbers. So what I tend to do is I, my rooms, I tend to average out on £100 a room because that just keeps everything really simple. Is that a year? Is it, is it these really cheap rooms? <laughs> £100 a room per week. So if, if you've got five rooms, you've got £500 a week per room, and then you times that by 4.33 because that's the average number of weeks in a month, and that will give you a gross rental income of £2,165. So that gives you your gross income. And this brings us to... Sorry, I'm interrupting you, but just on the... On the, as a top line number, £250,000 property generating £2,165. As someone coming from a, a buy-to-let background rather than an HMO background, that's just amazing. Brilliant. But anyway, sorry. Oh, I thought you were going to say the opposite. I thought you were going to... Um, and actually, let's let's do that quickly. So we've bought it. Well, actually, we can save it because it's 26000 a year. So we, we know that the gross yield on that is just shy of 10%. It's just above 10% which interestingly enough is tends to be what I stick out there as my first indicator as to whether or not I'm going to look at a property. And as you said before, yield can be pretty useless because that, that hasn't accounted for the, the amount we're going to put on the refurb. It hasn't accounted for the other costs. But for me, it's just a bit of a stake in the ground to say, could this property be of interest? So immediately, just working on our average figures, I'd say, well, this is it's going to be 10 and a bit percent yield. So that is something we should look at. And one of my big learnings in property development is it's not the number of properties you have. It's the number numbers in the properties that you've got. And this is where the devil truly is in the detail because very rough calculations. If, we, if we're getting a 15% 
deposit. So if we've got an 85% loan to value mortgage, typically, I mean, I, the numbers have been in my head for, for some time because banks like One Savings Bank, which owns Kent Reliance, will typically offer you anywhere between 4.29 and 4.79. Actually, on some of mine, we've got 5.29. So you're paying quite significantly for that high loan to value. I, I, I'm sorry, were they percentage interest rates on your mortgage you were just talking about? Yes, they were. Oh my goodness, they're high. So, sorry, so tell me those numbers again. So some will be 4.29. I think 4.79 is an average one. Some of them are 5.29 I've had. Ouch. Yeah. <laughs> so so again, so the numbers look good for you, but and, and it's only when I started looking at buy to lets with you, I was like, oh, I'm paying quite a lot of money for my <laughs> for my borrowing. But for for the interests of this exercise, I, I've based it on a four percent to not be too harsh on on the HMO. But probably to be fair, we should be looking at probably four and a half percent. Yeah, based on the numbers you've just said, I, I think four and a half percent sounds sounds better. But just to clarify, this is high loan to value HMO limited company mortgages. Correct. So you've just thrown in the limited company there. You snuck that one in. <laughs> but so I'll, I'll underscore that as well. So you're yeah, absolutely right. So that is also under limited companies. But I think the personal ones are, are, are similar. I'm sure I had a personal one, which was very similar rate, to be fair. Okay. Uh, I think 4.5% is a bit higher than I, I might have expected. But as you say, it's it's covering a number of factors that do tend to increase it. So let, let's, let's go with 4.5%. I think that's a good good number to use for our calculations. Okay, so you're paying four and a half percent, which is nine and a half thousand a year. Yep, or seven hundred ninety-six pounds a month, give or take. Yeah. So let's call that eight hundred. So you're paying eight hundred a month. Okay. So you've got eight hundred a month interest repayment. So we're paying interest only. We're not paying any capital down. We're paying the eight hundred pounds. The things with multi-let properties, you're going to have maintenance costs. I would conservatively say. And this is conservative for me, £150 per month. Some months it's going to be, some months you might, there is always a month where we're doing something in a property. And if if I went back through all of my statements of of the 60 odd rooms I've got, I'm pretty confident that that is the case. But let's say one month, it might just be a light bulb or the fridge has gone down or the tumble dryer's broke. And again, you're you're talking about properties. But so let's just say £150 for maintenance. That's across the whole property, yeah. That's across the whole property. Yeah. Yeah doorknobs, chairs, you name it. I'll share this with the audience, the, the, the listeners so far. So I got a great one last week. I got a text from one of my wonderful tenants. He's a great guy, by the way, but sent me a text saying, uh, dear landlord, we seem to have run out of Hoover bags. And that, that was the statement <laughs> to which I responded. Well, I, I know a few establishments that might sell you those. <laughs> so anyway. Um, digress slightly you're then going to have you know i've mentioned it at the start but you've got things like hmo license we talked about this on the last episode but hmo licenses the prices vary council on council and i know in in the council i operate in that the prices have gone up i would say over 50 percent in the last few years because of the number of hmo properties so i think you can pay anywhere between 500 pounds to 1200 pounds and and i know there are probably other areas that i'm aware unaware of where it could be higher yeah, there, there are some areas that charge in proportion to the number of rooms in the property and, and all sorts of things that, that go, up, go up much higher. Mm. Yeah, this this is something that, that Patma has data on across the whole country. 
as information all the the HMO licensing costs for for the different councils. So yeah, that's uh, if anyone wants to uh, have access to that, that's within the uh, the, the Patma Prospector Pro product. <laughs> Very good. So so you've got those costs, which I don't typically spread out across any particular time, but you know because eight hundred bills and eight hundred bills. So I, I I don't know how to amortize that, but they're just things that I'm raising that. You probably want to factor in because they will happen if, you, if it's brand new. The, you're going to need that that those monies. I've sort of factored in around a two hundred pounds gas and electric, which is about average for that sort of type of property. Again, areas will change. The other thing, so my properties typically we, they're all bills included, so we will pay that. We'll pay the council tax. We'll pay the broadband. We'll pay the TV license. So everything. So there, there are other costs that you might want to factor in. But as a miscellaneous, I'll, I'll just add another 50 quid to my numbers. And essentially what we've got to there, 1,050. So already we've up to, we're up to just over £1,000. So it's, it's about 1,200. I've got a couple of questions. Mm. You, you mentioned 200 for utilities. Was that including council tax? No, just gas and electric. Right, so it's gas and electric. And you've got council tax in there as a separate number, have you? I I hadn't added that, but if I were to add it, I'd I'd be adding around one hundred and forty pounds. Okay, so I, I think we should probably add that in. Yeah. And the other big thing that you haven't mentioned yet, maybe you're coming on to it, but is some kind of allowance for voids, because being an HMO, that ten you tend to see a higher turnover of, of tenants. So what what do you think should be a, a void allowance? Well, the calculation I use is usually one month. I mean, in terms of this exercise where I'm working out the net profit, I don't apply the void because I I am forecast. Don't don't look at me like that. Don't like I'm a naughty boy. Um, <laughs> but it, it depends on the size of the property. If I'm looking at an eight bed, I actually don't plan for it as an eight bed. I look at it as a seven bed or a six bed. That's that's how I do. On a five bed. And we do have five beds with very small single rooms. And I think there's some interesting information for people here and things I wish I'd known earlier, because you might get a group of four if we're talking students. Obviously, that's not going to happen if you're looking to professionals. But if, you've, if you're renting to students, typically they might not want to take a smaller room, but then we'd upweight the weekly cost a little bit to make up for the loss of that room. But I, I think if, if you take one you know, basically just one month's rent out, not not at the not at the full full level, so not the two thousand two hundred. But my calculation it's a weird calculation, but it comes to around a quarter of a quarter of the the the, the gross rent. So it would probably be around four to five hundred pounds if I was allowing that, like on a first month basis. Okay, so, so that would be nearly another 50 quid a month sort of spread out I, I think you're being very optimistic may i just say but <laughs> um do you think something in that that region then to allow well, for probably about 40 pounds okay yeah uh, let, let, I, let it be noted i think you're being optimistic but okay. no, so, so, so to be clear i wouldn't i wouldn't allow so, so two different things here if i'm planning a property but i wouldn't allow 40 pounds no in that in that month i'd be i'd be estimating about 400 pounds would come out that month so i'd put in a figure of 400 pounds to come out of that gross rent not 40 pounds a month to come out of that month so do you mean the the first month when you're setting it up or do you mean okay yeah so so i'm i'm looking at at that sort of as an ongoing churn if you like so yeah a a recurring cost because tenants come and they go and and you have to find new ones um and there's there's a 
normally a bit of a gap between that. Yeah, I mean, on, on if you're forecasting that way, I would say anywhere between 5 and 10%. Take 5 and 10% off your gross rent just so so if we look at 2200 i'd say to knock 2000 uh, sorry knock 200 pounds off your gross rent and that would cover you because that, that covers you for 2400 a year which is you know just shy of well it would be 10% of what your annual what your income's going to be so uh, i don't disagree i think it depends how well you know your area your property and your models but so for this this exercise let's let's add another 100 pounds i'll meet you in the middle but then Sounds we've got good. 150 190, 240, 440, 590. So we're coming up to about fourteen hundred pounds in terms of all of our costs. And I think including mortgage interest, yeah. Including mortgage interest, yeah. So we won't go back through it, but I think this is just interesting to know if you know if you're planning how do I replace my salary? I I think and and personally, from personal experience, I think that's a good number based on what we've got. Because what I can now see is that of the gross rental income of 2165, we've now got just over £700. So we've got £765 a month, which, which actually I think is a, is a good figure. And just to throw in one more clarification there, presumably you're looking at self-managed here, so there's no agent cost. That is a, a very good point. If I was going to take an agent cost, I'd add, for me, I'd add 12%. 12% of gross rent, just to clarify. Yeah, yeah so that would add another 260 So, So... Where you'd come out with, if you, if you did put that on, you'd come out about £500. And the funny thing is, when I work up a property on this number, my first thought is, if I can get to net of 500 I'm looking good. And it just shows you there is a method in the madness because all of the things we've done there have brought us actually to that number. So those numbers come from somewhere. So I think we should stick with that number because that's a nice round number, 500 Okay. And this, that fits quite nicely with somebody who's trying to build a salary replacement investment on the side. So you don't have time right now to do the self-management. Maybe you will when you've replaced your salary and you've given up your day job. But right now, you've still got the day job. You're trying to replace your salary. You can't do the management. So hence, use an agent. Good. So, okay, we've got £500 a month of income from this property. Yeah. And if you had the average UK salary, you'd need five of those. Yep, indeed. So we need five hmo properties that look like we've just described and we needed seventy-five thousand pounds to buy one so Stuart, person with a calculator hopefully <laughs> <laughs> what what is seventy-five thousand times five <laughs> well this one i can do in my head it's three seven five yes you'd need 375 grand I'll take your word for it. I can't do that in my head. <laughs> well, I, I can't at the speed required on a podcast. <laughs> uh, right. Sorry. What was that? I've missed that number. You said three, three, seven, five, three hundred and seventy-five thousand pounds to put in to build a portfolio that can can provide your your salary as an HMO strategy. Now, I think that's actually not too bad, really. So that's an ROI of eight percent. So if you've put in £375,000 and you're getting 30000 out, that's 8% per year. So that, that's okay. That's a, a pretty good return on investment. You're using an HMO strategy, so it's higher profit uh, or should be higher profit. However, that is allowing for using managing agents to, to do a lot of the work for you. 
So yeah, if you've got £375,000, I think that's that's pretty good return. The other thing we've not covered here is the time required to do this. Where we were coming from with some of this discussion was getting rich quick and replacing your salary quickly, which we sort of think is probably not very true. So how long does it take to buy one HMO property? As in to research the market, find something, do viewings, put in an offer, get it accepted, go through the legal process and actually come out the other end owning a property. Well, this is this is the interesting point. And of course, there are many different ways. And like everything else, the more you do, the easier it becomes. But you're, you're so dependent on other parties. You're so dependent on the conveyancing process. But if you buy it cash, it's going to be a quicker process than than mortgage. And lots of problems come up. The one bit I just want to step back to quickly. So the first thing is most people that are sitting around thinking, I need to replace my income, aren't going to have 375k burning a hole in their pockets ready to go. And that certainly wasn't my case. And I was on a very good salary before I decided to embark on this. And it brings into the other point is, well, how, do you, how can you do that and how can you scale? And the other, just watch out on that. So we, we've just done a very quick ballparks and estimates on that. But the other, my experience tells me is that there are so many things that you just cannot, well, you can plan for them. You, you can plan for a boiler and you can plan for a roof pit. But my experience is that all of those things and more happen a lot more frequently than you're going to expect and things become a lot more costly. So although I'd be happy with the net profit of 500, and that is typically what I'll work on, that doesn't account for when we had really bad weather in the southwest and you know two roofs went. One of the properties, which is a two-bed property I've got, the amount of things that have gone wrong with that in just one year is staggering and it's probably taken any it's wiped out any profit for at least two years and and that's not even a joke i mean it's it's we've had to re-roof it we've had to re uh, redecorate it multiple times so it all sounds good on paper but these are the things that eat away at net profit and therefore eat away at your capability and this isn't to be a, a naysayer because it's all possible and we're in the industry it's just to say this is this is the reality of this sector and what we do but buying it brings another point. So, so again, most of us aren't saying, well, I've got 375K, I'll just buy myself my salary. This is where it leads us into, well, how do we get our money back out quicker? And that's why I went for 85%. The other point we didn't talk about was actually, if you go for a 25% mortgage, yes, you're going to put in an extra 25K, but actually you're going to make an extra £200 a month. So it might take you 10 years to get that money back, but it's the difference. And of course, your, your, your net profit is higher. But I personally went down the route of seeking personal private investment. And that then also added what we call in you know, finance, the downward pressure, because not only did I have to pay the banks their interest, I then had to pay an in- investor interest and think about paying him his money back at a certain stage too. So there's, so there's those two factors. We've been working out a lot of these numbers as we go along, but I think it's just worked out brilliantly in so much as if you go down the private investor route, there are various reasons why you can't do this, but you wouldn't be able to do it for the whole figure. But let's just say you take the whole figure, 375000 and you are able to gain that from an investor or multiple investors. Typically, the kind of return those investors need or require or ask for whatever, or 
that's made available to them is in the region of 5 to 10%. So if we take a number that's kind of in the middle, say maybe just off the top of my head, 8%. So we're now paying 8% interest per year on the £375,000 that we've borrowed in order to buy these HMOs in order to replace our salary. That means we're paying £30,000 a year of interest. We've just lost our salary. Yeah. And we're making absolutely nothing. <laughs> we've gained five HMOs. We're doing a lot of work. We've probably spent over a year in actually finding them and going through the purchasing process on them. And because we've funded it entirely with investor money, we actually end up with zero at the end of it. We have not replaced our salary at all. And we haven't even generated any income. <laughs> That's not really what we had planned. <laughs> <laughs> And this is where it gets into, because I think to look at the bigger picture is really good, but this is where you then have to focus in on the property, because if you're buying a property at the right price, if you've done the right work, then you know where the value is. So there are some properties, now I'll give an example. So I bought one property for £540,000. It was actually two properties on one freehold. I spent, unbelievably, around 20000 on it. It was a 13-bed. I can't go through the numbers. When we revalued it, it revalued at 735. So on that one, I think we paid 30%. So let's just say that's roughly, so 150K plus the stamp duty. So we had 150K in plus stamp duty plus the refurb of 20K. So we had 170K in. Actually, revalued at 735. And even if we went in at a 70% loan to value on that, it was five, that comes out at 500, just under 515,000. And so there are models where you can say, well, actually, I can use investor finance, but I have to have a lot of confidence in what, you know, what we'll call as developers a uh, gross development value or, or just what we believe the end market value to be. And as we know, and the, the biggest risk to us is that unfortunately in property, we have, to, we have so many dependencies on others that that's where the risk comes in. Because we may believe the property's worth seven. I actually put in a valuation of 750. I didn't think we'd get close to it. But as we know, valuer might come in and say, I don't, I don't value it at that. I value it a lot less. You know, I'm hearing that one bank now will limit valuations up to sort of 70%. Even if they were, um, were going to give you a product of 75% loan to value, they will now only give 70% on a valuation. And, and all of this, you know, dramatically impact. So, you know, when you're someone like me that does borrow finance at typically between eight and ten percent, that that is, you know, it's uh, it's not for the faint of heart. Exactly. Yeah, I think as Sir Alex Ferguson used to call it, it's, it's always squeaky bum time. Yeah, you, you've got to do more than the basic model that we've just spent the last half hour talking through. <laughs> you've you've really got to, as you say, add a bit more value to it. And actually go through that refinance process as well. So obviously we're, we're sort of merging a little onto another strategy of, of buy, refurb and refinance. So you've got that refinance bit so that you're gaining some of your money back to repay your investors or repay yourself or what have you. And, and that's how you can make the numbers come out at, at not zero in the end. I think the other potential way, just looking at the, the main scenario that we've talked through today, is if you self-managed. So we were knocking 250 quid a month out roughly 
for agent fees. So if you self-managed, you're making yourself another job. You're, it's not something you can do on the side, particularly, especially with an HMO, because management's relatively intensive. But that would then mean that you've got £250 profit a month per per property. So to replace your salary, you now need 10 properties instead of instead of five, but at least it's not zero. Uh, as in at least your your income, your profit at the end of the day isn't zero. No, that's right. Can can get something out of it. Yeah, because the agent fees alone are ten percent of your gross annual. So if your if your salary was thirty thousand, that two hundred and fifty is is three grand a year. So you, you, you can see there you've got that's ten percent. So that that's how significant that is. The challenge for a lot of us is what we don't want to do is trade in a job for a job. Uh, so depending on what that is, and HMOs can quickly become a job if but that's that's absolutely fine if that's something you're comfortable doing and and like everything else it happens in cycles depending on the size of the portfolio indeed so we are we are definitely over time for today <laughs> but i think i think we've had quite a good good run through of the the calculations is there anything you think we've we've missed in in this process Stuart? i'm sure there are many things that we've missed I mean, in terms of the <laughs> In terms of the average, I think the last thing you mentioned is the refinance. So we do a lot of refinance. And of course, that further borrowing, because again, we're not going to have 365k kicking around. So what we want to do is get that money out of the property as soon as possible. So if we bought a property for 250, assuming we've spent more, that we've, we've estimated 25, which I know some people are saying is really low. Some people are saying, well, that's all right. But if you spent, let's say, between 25 and 50k, you should have increased the value of the property if you've bought it right. And that being so, you, within six months, you might be able to borrow further, further borrowing against it. And my experience is that further borrowing, of course, when you borrow it, that's another interest payment that also comes out of your net profit of, of the property. But it will mean you've got some cash back in your pocket to go and buy the next one. But my experience is that that really does mean your net profit suffers as a direct result and can mean things take longer. Uh, the other things, of course, we didn't include in the numbers, but we were rounding them up was insurance. You, you'd need uh, insurance for, for all of that, typically for HMOs. Uh, well, all properties, obviously, you need insurance, but you need specific insurance. And the more rooms you get, the, the harder, you know, the more specialised the insurance is because of the properties types that they are. We haven't talked about you know, HMOs in commercial, but of course, we, we're just trying to think about that, that replacing salary. But I, I think that is a a very good sort of broad brush way of thinking about how to replace a salary for anyone that is thinking about it. I think that's a that's a great starting point because then I think after this, you then have to start thinking, okay, now what are the creative ways that we can do this without, you know, seeing if if a, a, a lucky member of the family's got a 400K that they'd like to to invest in in my new property business. <laughs> yeah. Uh, there's one, one more sort of angle to this, which we hinted at but i don't think we finished talking about and that was the time it would take to actually accumulate all of this if we say if we say buying finding and buying a property takes six months but you can overlap them say uh, say, say you know well, two months into the process you can start going to the next one so uh, if you overlap sort of four months in each process uh, so to get five properties uh, assuming i've done my maths right you need 14 months so this isn't going to be an instant process. And I think 14 months is a bit optimistic still. But perhaps, just maybe, with 
nearly £400,000 and 14 months of work, you could replace your £30,000 salary with an HMO purchasing strategy. If you're using other people's money to finance it, that's not going to work, probably. You will need more HMOs or more work to go in or a more complex refinancing model. But if you've actually got the capital to put in and you want to go into property and you've got the the 14 months, you can probably replace your salary in the HMO property investment. So there you go. No no more uh, property courses or or training required by anybody listening. You know exactly what to do. (laughs) When when you've uh, gone out and and executed on this and succeeded brilliantly in 14 months' time, assuming we're we're still podcasting, please let us know. (laughs) And send us a cheque for £97. Thank you. (laughs) On that note, we are finishing up for this week. (laughs) I very much hope that you've been enjoying our uh, mathematical ramblings this week. And I would really appreciate it if you could let somebody else know about this podcast and your, hopefully, enjoyment of it. Show notes and some mathematical calculations probably will be available at thebusinessofproperty.com. And Stuart and I will talk to you again next week.